All right, it was after the passage where we talked about um, showing partiality, correct? Yes. What else? Do you want me to explain it? We can do that. Let's do that. So, that's okay. It was, it was a little nuanced, so we'll do it that way. So, last week we talked about this idea of, of faith and deeds too often is separated from the passage of showing partiality. Um, that if we're going to read James as a letter to James's people and to these believers, maybe there is a flow that makes sense and it's on purpose. And so rather than saying partiality is this one thing, you know, treating um, the outsider different, treating someone who can benefit you better than someone who can't is wrong, and you're therefore doing that, casting judgment rather than mercy on them, that you're actually sinning against those people that you don't let into your table, remember? Maybe, maybe faith and deeds has something to do with that. Maybe those things are tied more intimately than we thought they were, right? Maybe that's not two separate things that occasionally hit each other randomly, but maybe they are things that flow together. And so we talked about how often matching our, our faith and deeds and marrying the two of them is distinctly related with who is invited to our table by how we show mercy over judgment, how we as people with our hands and with our feet and with our words and with our beliefs say mercy triumphs over judgment. And often with us, it shows in who we let in community with us, who we show partiality to, who we say, yes, you are one with me. You are no longer an outsider, but you can be one with us. We can be an us together. So we talked about that a little bit. Um, and then we had our family meeting, so we didn't talk long. But this week, I kind of want to look at um, faith and works in a little bit different way. Uh, but first, let me read the passage again. Let's do that. So we're in verse 14. Uh, and it says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Well, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? Well, you do well. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he, was off, when he offered up his son Isaac to the altar? You see that faith, by faith he offered his um, by faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not Rahab the prostitute justified by her works when she received the messengers and sent them on by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So here's what I want us to do. First, I want us to talk about this story of Rahab. Does anyone know what, um, what James is referring to? What is this story of Rahab the prostitute? Does anyone know it? Let's, let's, have a, 
team rebuild the story time right now. You can start. You just got elbowed by Jacob, so you can, you can start if you want to. <laughs> well, she was, I mean, had the reputation of a prostitute. I personally don't know that she really was a prostitute. I think she was a savvy businesswoman. There. And people um, gossiped about her. But anyway, that's my take on it. Um, yeah, she lived um, the city wall, and she basically... What, first, first, what time period are we talking about? Let's do that. Time of Joshua. Okay, good. Which is in the book of? Joshua. Okay, good. Very good. Then Joshua 1, even. So in the time of Joshua, what does that mean, though? <laughs> Moses just died on the mountain. Joshua's leading the Israelites into Israel to take possession of the land. Right. Well, leading them into Canaan. I was going to say Canaan. Yes, take perfect. Take possession of the land. Perfect. Okay, so back to Rahab. So he said, guys, in to scope it out, basically, to make sure spies, what's going on. Right. And basically... She worked a deal with them if they would basically save her family, she would bring her family. And so they told her to, you know, leave the court and First of all, what happens before that? Someone help her too. You can keep going with the story, but what happens right before that? Right before they make a deal, what, what happens? Anyone know? You can guess. That would be real fun. Do you know what happens right before that? You mean like the spies telling them why they're there? Almost. Yes, keep going. So there's this part of the story that's, that's a huge, distinct portion. Here's what it is. So the spies are there. They go into her house, which is also very interesting. Let's note that. Let's note that. They come into the city. Yes, she does live at the wall. But they find themselves, it says, at the house of Rahab, possibly a prostitute. Important. So, but then they go, and it says that the, the king's men, the king of the city, understand and have found out that the spies are coming, right? So they go searching through, well, they think they came in this way, let's go search everyone's house. So they go to Rahab's house, and they see that they're coming, and what does she do? She hides them. She just hides them, right? She's met them just now, right? Hides them where, do we know? On the roof, under some, like, reeds or grain or whatever it is. Uh, what's the, something like that. So it like, hides them on the roof, tells the king's people, oh yeah, they did come by, but don't worry, I turned them away. They're foreigners to me, they're strangers. So they were at my gate, I didn't even open the gate. Or she said, wait, she may have opened the gate, and she says, but I closed it behind them as I sent them on their way, and I think they went this way, right? So she points, I think they went this way. Um, if you hurry, you might confine them. Don't worry, I sent them away, right? Then, sorry, then she works out this deal with them, Right. So, I mean, she saved them. Yes. So in, in turn, basically, they save her family. Her family survives. She brings everyone to her home, and they tell them that they're home. Right. Tie the cord and come back. And basically, they do, and she winds up in the room and changes. Perfect. Okay. What was the last part again? She winds up being in the lineage of Jesus. Very interesting. Very, very interesting story. So the, the thing about this story that is unique, hey, that great job, by the way, also, for telling that whole story so well. Um, <laughs> Some things that are interesting about that story. We have this story, which is way less clean and way less like tidy than the story of Abraham and Isaac, right? Abraham and Isaac seems like a very obvious choice for this. God says, sacrifice your son to the altar for me. I've given to you. Now you give him back. It took faith for him to do that. The action was he actually took him up to the altar, places him there, 
has the knife high or whatever the story ends up saying about where the knife is or whatever. And then an angel of the Lord comes and says, no, we, we didn't mean it all the way. We just wanted to see what was going on with your faith. We wanted to see your faith and deeds. Here's a ram stuck in the thistles. Let's do that instead. And everyone's like, oh, yes, his faith matched his deeds. That's amazing. That worked out wonderfully, right? He has this relationship with God before then, right? They've already worked out some faith and deed and doubt issues with how they were going to be pregnant with Isaac, right? They've worked out if his wife's going to laugh at that promise or not. She does. It's kind of fun and kind of okay, I think. I don't think she's punished or anything for that. It's funny. They have this long history of like growing in faith together. Rahab, does it say anything about her before this, about her faith? about her relationship with God, about anything. In fact, no, she's a part of the, the enemy. She's possibly a prostitute, right? Savvy as she may be. And she also doesn't know these two people. This story I find so interesting because so often we have this idea that, that faith is the main thing that we have to show. And so your faith needs to be strong enough to show something. And, and a lot of times we think of it in that way. We say, oh, to have better actions, to have more good deeds, let your faith grow within you because then it will show itself in your works, correct? And that's not wrong. We, we probably wouldn't say that's a false idea. That's a fine idea, right? As your faith grows, I think our actions definitely do change. I think so. But too often, I feel like, we have this idea that all the time should be spent on growing our faith so that actions might follow. Maybe, though, maybe, just maybe, those things can grow each other. Maybe our actions, when choosing to take them, can grow our faith in turn. Maybe you don't have to wait to do good works until your faith is powerful enough. You might just be able to step out doing actions in order to grow and to continually challenge your faith. We find this, I think, with Rahab. Rahab says, and oh, and here's another part of the story we did miss. They ask her, why did you do this? Why did you save us? She says, oh, we've heard how powerful your army is. We also heard that this God you serve parted the sea that, I think it said, it melted our hearts with fear or something like that. She's like, oh no, I'm afraid. It's like, I know the God you serve is powerful enough to move water and then to also like conquer these other two nations that we are fairly afraid of, thus our walls. And so if you're coming, I'm nervous, right? So then this happens and she basically just acts on this small amount of faith, really driven, it seems, by fear. That's her action. She saves them based on that. Then she has a hard time believing that they're going to even do what they said they would do. She says, can we please, though, make an oath? Can we make an oath of some kind that you will follow, that you will save my family? And they're like, sure, it'll be done to you. And she says, well, how will I know? What should I do to make sure that you really will save me and my family? What can I do to make you promise that you will? And they're like, I mean, geez, put the red rope on your window. And she's like, and? And they say, well, and? I mean, yeah, if anyone comes in, it's kind of like us coming in, and then God will do this to us. And she's like, and? <laughs> and they say, 
and they will be cursed from the land. And we'll, you know, she, they're like trying to show enough justice, and she wants more. Because she seems to have acted on a small amount of faith. And then in those actions, as she continues to tell these people, no, I don't know where they went. I promise, I don't know what's going on. As that story progresses, she ends up finding faith in the midst that she'll be saved. And I wonder for us, if sometimes we, we miss the good works God has prepared for us because we doubt the amount of faith we have to complete them. I wonder if that's us. I wonder if we know God has actions ready for us. God knows he's calling you to something, whether it be in your head large or small, asking you to forgive, asking you to ask forgiveness, asking you to change this relationship around you, asking you to move and do this work, do this job, asking you to change your career, whatever this thing may be, right? That God, you feel like is welling up inside of you, but you doubt the amount of faith you have to complete it, and so we stay quiet, or so we wait to have the proper amount of faith, with whatever that means, right? Even saying that, to me, sounds so like, oh, waiting for the amount of faith to do something, but I do the same. I do the same. I say, well, I don't know if I'm completely ready for all of that, so let's do tiny little things to get there so that I get lost in them on the way and don't ever really get there. That's the intent. When instead, what if we act on this, call it big, call it small, whatever, this small amount of faith in you and in me? And what if we say, oh, I'll, I'll do this thing so that my faith might grow? What if the relationship between faith and works is symbiotic in some way, both ways? I mean, let's read the part about Abraham again that I love. Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works when he offered his son Isaac to the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. Faith was active along with his works. And the faith was completed by his works. The faith didn't come to completion until the works were performed, right? We have, the, we have a similar story, I feel like, and I love this story, so we tell it all the time. But you remember this, this Jesus is teaching at this house, right? And a paralytic and his friends show up, but there's no, they can't get through, right? This guy's on a mat, and they're carrying him, and they can't get through to the house. And so what do they do? Do we remember? Cut the hole. They lift him up to the roof, and they cut a hole in the roof of someone's house. They don't know. They're like, you know what would be a great idea? Let's cut up this house. That would be perfect. Which to me, as a builder, I'm like, oh, you ruined the envelope, and now you can't waterproof it again. And oh, no, look what you've done to this house. It's like the worst choice you could have made. Go through a window. <laughs> Yell, give me room. Anything else. But they cut the roof. And I'm like, oh, that's the worst idea. So they cut the roof, lower him down, too, which is great. It's like, just put a lot. You got up there away, like, carry him. You lowered him down. That's so strange to me. But they lower him down. Jesus sees them. And do, do we remember what the comment is, what's written, Luke writes this, what happens when Jesus looks at this, I mean, again, it didn't happen all at once. I mean, they're cutting it somehow, and everyone's looking up like, what the heck's going on? The roof gets removed, and you have a ton of people staring up at these guys, and like, one minute, <laughs> the guy, we're sending a person through, you know, and that happened somehow. I don't know how that reaction went. It took a few minutes. They send him through. Jesus is looking at the scene. What, is, what happens? What does Scripture say after that? What does Jesus see? 
their faith, right? Sees their faith and then says to the person, your sins are forgiven. forgiven." And the people up there are like, okay, that's good. Thank you for that as well. We were kind of thinking if we could not have to pick him back through here, that would be awesome, right? So the Pharisees are like, how could you say this? He's like, oh, his sins are forgiven. How can I say that? I'll show you how I can say that. Also, why don't you get up and walk? And so he leaves. And he takes his mat. He's like, I'll take it. Please send it. The ropes and stuff. So he packs it up. Excuse me, excuse me. Walks out, you know. That story happens. It's not even the man's faith that heals the man. This is friends. This is some interesting correlation with their faith and work to put the man through a stranger's roof that heals the guy. Right? Does he just look at him and say, I bet you have so much faith you convinced them to do that? No. Like, your friends are amazing. Get up and walk. Tell them thank you on your way out, right? So we have this interesting correlation that it might not, the equation may not happen the way we think it does. Say it like that. It may not be, this much faith equals, oh, I can now do a work, thus action, or thus outcome, or thus more work, or thus more faith. It might just be, I don't know how much faith. It's a attempt to work. Let's be creative and do something good. I don't know these answers to my faith question. I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I know that I've been told to do what is good. Let's do some good and see what happens. And then maybe as that happens, our faith grows and catches up with the work. That may be part of the equation. And this is, this is one of the main reasons why I say that. Because I look at us, and again, going back to showing partiality, to having mercy triumph over judgment, I see us in our relationship with the world. I see us in our relationships with each other. I see me in my relationship with Lily, my sons, the people I work with and volunteers that come out sometimes to the job that I perform, and all of these things. And I see that. And and there are times when we just aren't ready to believe the kingdom of heaven can be at hand and redeem all of those things. That we somehow doubt, because of ourself or because of whatever, that our, our marriage or our relationship with our mother or our relationship with this you know, frenemy or this relationship with whoever can be redeemed, can be like made whole again because we don't have the faith to do what it would take to fix it, right? What if instead, what if instead we just said, we will test and see what our, what our faith might equal, but I know for sure that I am to do what is good. What if we just say, we will learn to do righteous things. That maybe God really has created good deeds for you to do from the foundations of the whole thing, and you'll just look for them and find them. And in doing so, maybe our faith grows along with us. What if if that is the case for us? You know, there's no doubt that faith must be a part of those things how much is enough to do them? When would you have enough faith to do what is good? Why don't we just do what is good and see how our faith might follow? 
may be trying with every minute to make your relationship stronger with your spouse. Maybe that helps you to believe that, yes, God actually does want my relationship with them to be wonderful. I'm seeing it. I didn't have faith that it could be better, that it could be fixed, or that they wanted it to work, right? But now I'm acting on it. Now I'm at least doing what is good, and I'm seeing God change us because of that. And that, in turn, builds our faith, right? Same with our parents. Same with our kids. Same with the people we work with every day. Maybe this idea of sacrificial giving for you. Maybe it's, oh, when I give to that family, even though I didn't think they would use it well, or I didn't think it would matter, or I thought it was too small, maybe that just did something inside of me, and it changed the way I look at giving. It changed the way I saw my money. Maybe that is how we grow our faith. Maybe those things interact both ways. And I think that is what is so beautiful about this passage, and especially where it is, is that us offering mercy over judgment just kind of cycles on itself. The more and more we offer mercy, the more and more we put actions to our faith, whether it be a lot of faith or a minute amount we hope is there, right? No matter what, as we continue to do that, it it breeds itself more of it. We enjoy it. We do it more often. We're offering mercy here, and now we're offering mercy here, and now this person's welcome at our table, and then now this person, I find them wonderful to talk to, and now my entire outlook on people has changed, and I no longer show judgment over mercy. Maybe that can happen with us if we just do what is good. Just send the invite for the family to come to your house. Just do it. You don't have to have a great plan. They probably just want to come over and see you. Maybe you just tell the person you appreciate them very much and tell them you love them and make it weird. Maybe just do what you know you should do. Maybe we just try to be a little bit creative about how we're going to love the world and watch our faith catch up to that. Maybe, you know. Instead of waiting for the right amount of faith to do anything. Because maybe in doing that we are proving our faith to not be what we think it is. Waiting for our faith to grow so we can do a good thing at all seems to be the kind of faith that James would say, is that faith in the first place? Do some actions. Show your faith. Grow it by your actions. Let's do good together. And so I want us to think about that this week. And I want you to specifically think about the relationships around you that you know over and over you have known something to do, or you know something should be done. Let's say it that way. You know something should be done. And yet we choose to stay inactive time and time again. Whether it be you know, you know at that time right before you go to sleep, you should offer to pray with your spouse. I know that is difficult. I know it is strange sometimes. For whatever reason, that's strange. But it's hard. It's, it's, it's intimate. It's different. Maybe we say, we know it's good, though. Why don't we just do what is good? Let's see what God does with that and hope something great, maybe. Or hope for just normal. It's not going to be bad, more than likely. They're not going to be like, how dare you? You know, more than likely. 
Or maybe it's with, with this person that you know you must forgive, or you know you need to ask forgiveness from, yet it just seems like status quo is fine, let's just move on, right? When you know God has prepared for you to do what is good. Your, your brain may say, the, the amount of faith may say, no, I don't think God, though, would fix that still. I think it's just going to be met with, you know, frustration, or it's going to be met, make it worse. Just do what is good. Let God sort those things out. Let God build your faith in the midst of doing good. Just think of those things. I want to pray for you, and then we're going to go into a time of communion with that, like, in our forefront, okay? So God, we love you, and we say really to us, just like we want our faith to grow our works, we also want our actions to grow our faith. We want those things to work together. We want them to act together. So God, please help us. God, please, as we seek to know you and know you in our relationships, know you in the world around us. May we be people who aren't afraid to do what is good. And that we would be people who would search for those things to do. We would search for the actions that may change the world a bit around us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's stand together. We are going to enter a time of communion, and here's what that means with us.